We have the distinction of being created in the image of God. We're the ones who have that logic. We're the ones who are, we're made to be able to figure these things out. All right, folks, welcome to the Virtue Signal. It is your dude, Zoe, with my partner in crime, Bill Whittle. Uh, it's almost like, um, speaking, you know, we're going to be talking about the Virtue Signal, and you know where I'm coming from. And because I come from more of a biblical standpoint, one would actually almost say that, okay, Zoe, this isn't Fantasy Island. Yeah, it is. Why not? Bill gets to be Mr. Rourke, and I'm going to be Tattoo, and Tattoo is going gonna, is gonna <laughs> to host this episode this time. And, uh, oh, God. and as Bill Whittle has said, we're, we're going to do a little series on this. You know, why not? Okay. Let's yeah, do, why let's not? Do, why let's not? Do a, if, 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 nobody <clears throat> has deep nobody has deep discussions about things that they might disagree with without without throwing bombs at each other anymore. Indeed. Indeed. You know, and the thing is, uh we we wanna and, and, and Bill doesn't really know what topic I'm gonna bring it up. He just agreed that, hey, let's let's do uh a series of uh, uh, based around this. You know, so kind of mm-hmm. like the way Bill does me, kind of like throws one, man. I'm gonna we're gonna we're gonna throw yep. one at him, right? And okay. um but as Bill has mentioned before, this is not a is not a Bible study, but it's more of a study of virtues. Well, more of a, uh, an observation on virtues and, and what people perceive uh, as virtues. And these things, these virtues, they end up taking root in the culture and they manifest as policy that we end up having to be subject to. So that's what we're trying to do, folks. We're, we're, we're trying to get a, a clearer understanding what virtue is. And uh, we can't just make up virtues as we go. Uh, we, um, you know, we're going to have disagreements about what virtue is. And I think there has to be some, something that can calibrate, uh, what, a, what virtues are, you know, a clear understanding of virtues. And, uh, you know, would that be, um, you know, and for, and for me, that is going to be rooted in scripture. Uh, and so Bill, would that be a, like a fair assessment of like what we're trying to do in terms of, yeah, I um, think that's perfectly said. Yes. Okay. Okay. So now. If I'm gonna, if I'm gonna say that, okay, well, uh, my, my sense of virtue is based in the Bible, which of course is, is a very well scrutinized book. Uh, why should, why should, what, what is the virtue in believing a book that says that this God, right off the bat, it gives you something that's really hard to believe that this God came out of nowhere and, uh, and created the earth in six days. And that's what we're supposed to believe. Doesn't that promote willful ignorance? Uh, what is the virtue in that? And why should we go? Why should we? Uh, why should we stand by that? What do you think, Bill? Uh, I'm good friends with Jeremy Boring, and for uh, I don't know, at least six, seven years, very, very close friends. We're basically working out of the same office uh, every day. And the first time I met him was in 2008 at his house where we were getting ready to talk about this new Barack Obama guy and, and the kind of threat he might pose to uh, Western ideas of you know freedom and so on. And it was just the two of us. I was the first one there and we were talking about this and, he, and we were talking about Huckabee and I said, you know, I just can't back a, a guy who, who, who just doesn't believe in evolution, you know. And, and he said, well, we got into this whole discussion about the age of the earth and, and, and fossils and carbon-14 dating, redshift, all this stuff. And he said something that I thought was the, the, the best argument I've heard for this position. And he said, uh, well, the, the, the kind of God I believe in could have created the universe this second and put all of the memories that you have and all of the things that you believe 
into your head and just basically fiated it right into existence. And I thought, I don't believe that's the case, but that is, in fact, the best answer I've heard uh, on, on this issue. If you are talking about an all-powerful supernatural being, then everything else becomes voided. But the reason I don't believe the earth was created in six days, and, and furthermore, uh, Bishop Usher calculating the ages of the prophets in the Bible determined it was in 4004 BC. This is, this is the giant conflict. Uh, it's not only a conflict internally in, in Judeo-Christianity, because some people believe it literally and other people believe it figuratively, and some people think it's absolute hooey, and, and, and you got this whole spectrum. But the literal versus uh, figurative uh, question has been one that's been with us for, well, certainly since the, the age of reason in any event. Um, my primary objection to this is, well, my primary objection is, is the scientific evidence. But let's go deeper than that. The, if, if it is true that, that God created the earth, the heavens and the earth, then he created a system that has internal, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, consistency. I drop an object in California, I drop an object in Italy, I drop an object in Antarctica, it's going to fall to the earth at the same rate. That there are, that there are laws of nature that, that, that God may have created or that, that, that arose uh, without a God, but these are consistent. And, and my primary ob objection to the six days in 4004 BC thing is, is that there is so much evidence embedded in the structure of the universe that if God created this universe and embedded that much evidence, and not just the existing evidence, embedded in our minds the ability to ping nature, to, to say, bing, what about this? I'm going to test this theory. And boom, here comes a reply. I'm going to do it over here, bing, and here comes the same reply. When, when you have physical laws that are so consistent, and when they are returning data from the universe that in, in, in total is, is just overwhelming in terms, of, in terms of the number amounts of data points and the repeatability of the data points experiment. So you've got continental drift, you've got carbon-14 dating, you've got uh, the, the, the redshift of, of various stars indicating the age of the universe, and on and on and on. If you're, gonna, if you're, if you're a creator and you're going to build that into the universe, that's the thing I can't understand, to be perfectly honest with you. Why would you do that? Why would you, why would you create fossils if fossils didn't exist and bury them in, in a consistent fashion and have the radioactive decay and all of that? Why, why would you build a universe that had so much evidence in it <clears throat> in order... Why would you do that? What's the logic? Is it, because to me the only the only logical outcome, and God doesn't have to listen to me or logic, but it seems almost like you're you're, you're you, it almost seems like entrapment in a way. You know, it's like well, you know, if if that if the the Judeo Christian theory of creation is correct, then God has built the universe in such a way and embedded so much evidence that 
Earth is much older than than what you get. Um, I mean, in, in enormously older. And everywhere we look, we see that this seems to be true. So, so I have to look at that as as being a figurative description. Now, with all that said, it has not escaped my attention that the best and, fa- and in fact, really the only explanation for how this 14 billion year old universe came to be, that the best way to describe what uh, people are calling the Big Bang is to say essentially, let there be light, because that's really the only way to describe it. There's no scientific explanation of what happened prior to the Big Bang, and I think the whole idea of before and after is a limitation of our, it's a horsepower problem for us. Uh, But when you look at it from that point of view, from a figurative point of view, it does It's a compelling, awfully compelling coincidence if that's what it is. We talked about this last week on the Jonah episode where you talked about um, Jonah being taken down into the mountains of the deep. And I said, people who wrote that had no idea under underwater topography. They had no idea how deep the oceans were. They had no idea if it was rough or, or, or smooth. No. You know, those kind of things may just be coincidence, but but they, they tend to go towards a more... Um, uh, figurative read of the Bible than, uh, than the literal six 24-hour days. And, and if you're taking the age of Adam and all of these ages are included in the Bible, in the Old Testament, and if you're working these numbers out, it does come out to be something like, you know, 4,000 years ago. So I don't understand why there'd be so much evidence in a world created by a God to make us believe something other than six days 4,000 years ago. I hear you, man. And, and, and I, and I ask these questions, um, sympathetically as a, as a former agnostic, these are things that I've wrestled with myself, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I, I don't blame anybody for having these concerns. I went through, I went through the same thing. Uh, and the reason why I do even bring these up because this is the virtue signal, but before we're going to be ruled by anybody's ideas of virtue, said, no, man, we got to come to a consistency of what virtue is. And as I said, you know, virtue isn't created with us. Creation, uh, virtue was was before us. It's something that we learn, or, or even if we can can come to appreciate what what, what virtue might be. Uh, these things were here before us. So, what I wanted. So, if if that's the case, and virtue has an origin, then I have to be able to validate this God that I'm supposed to be accountable to and walk in his statutes of what virtue is. Um, so why should I believe this story? Where's the virtue in believing the story of, of, of like you said, Bill, that it's hard to say that it's true, despite the evidence that we have. Um, well, maybe let's, let's start with, with the Big Bang and, and let there be light. Um, now, I'm not one who tries to validate these things by uh, man-made or ordained scientific methods, but I will question them by them. Like say, for instance, when we talk about the Big Bang, Mm -hmm. the Big Bang is going to be this event where the singularity is going to explode. One has to, one, somebody has to say, okay, what was the detonation point? Why did it happen? What was this thing? How small was it? And at what point did it decide it's going to explode? But with this explosion, there's going to be a decompression 
So we got this highly compressed state that's going to decompress. It's going to be a decompression of space and it's going to be a dim and it can't be a decompression of space without it being a decompression of time, which means that galaxies, solar system, planetary systems are going to be forming in moments. Things that would be taking billions and billions of years to form are unfolding and forming within seconds because it's a decompression of time. So if we're going to, and this is a, this is a, a theory. It's a scientific theory. But why is that theory? Why would that theory be accepted that galaxies could form within seconds? But it's ridiculous to believe that God created the world in six days. Now, me saying that, I don't believe. And, I, and let me let me rephrase that. The Bible does not say that the world was created in six days. This is what happens when people don't take full biblical context. You read the narrative of the six day narrative. It's not so much a how God did it, but it's why. But before I get into that, it's it, here, here's the thing. When you have God that's tell, just like you said, you know, uh, how did God know that, you know, there was mountains underneath? How does the word of God know that? How does the word God, of God know that the earth is suspended on nothing? So you have a lot of people out there that thought that either the earth was sitting on Atlas you know, or and, turtles. and right. Or, or, or the giant or a giant turtle. And even when Atlas was sentenced to go be under the earth, what was holding mm -hmm. it up before? Right. And those things don't, don't seem to be covered in, in, in any odysseys that I've, that I've read. Uh, maybe I missed it. But, um, the thing is the earth wasn't created in six days and you, and you learn that right from the very beginning. Okay, so in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God is hovering. The spirit of God is hovering over the face of the waters. Right there, it's going to tell you that the earth was bit, was here for a long time. Right? It was here for a long time because the word for these waters is called Ma'im. And when you break down the word Ma'im, the word actually means waste. Now, how could there be waste if there was never an earth here? And then it goes further and said that it, it, this, it talks about the waters as the deep. When you break down the word deep, the words to whom the word to whom means defeated in battle. How was there a war if there was nothing here? It says that when God was hovering over the waters, when you break down the word hovers, it says that he was brooding. He was angry. What's God going to be angry about if there was nothing here for him to be angry about? The world was judged. The world had living organisms on it. When you go to Isaiah and Ezekiel, it'll tell you that there were kingdoms here and there was violent trading because Lucifer himself had command over the earth. He had kingdoms here. So the things that they were doing were abominable. And who knows how long they were here? Long enough for any dinosaurs, uh, Cro-Magnon Cro, Cro man, uh, Cro man, Neanderthal, long enough for these fossil records to be here because the earth was here a long time. The creation narrative is not about the creation of the earth in chapter one. Chapter two goes further into telling you how it was happened. But when you read the whole Bible, you see how this whole thing plays out. The creation of man is the creation narrative. Man can't, if, if man is in the image of God and, and man is a representation of God, man could not have evolved because God did not evolve. So God, man is a representation of God. He's a unique creature that was made. And even when it tells you that God was, that man was made out of the dust of the earth, that's not disprovable because every organism has what is in the soil that's in it. We are made from the dust of the earth. Everything that you're going to find in the soil, you're going to find in every organism. That's just the way that it is. So it doesn't say that man was made from a tree or carved out of this or anything. I know I made you from the dust of the earth. That's not disprovable. It doesn't read like a myth. 
It doesn't read like fiction. It the seems reason why it seems like horrible fiction is because it's not. It is God's God. It's like, man, if I wanted to write you a good piece of fiction, baby, I could do. <laughs> I can make you some good fiction. But it's not how it works. And and just lastly, it's we're in an age. I just want to say this really quick. We're in a, in, in an age, man, where we can reflect on these things because the language is so it it's so reflective of what God has done. I mean, the, the, the sons of God say that they were there when they shout, they shouted for joy when God laid the foundations of the universe, not just created and laid the foundations of it. All the things that we know that the properties that should be involved to keep this thing going. God was there laying the foundations of it. It's we live in this digital age. We live in this technological age. When you break down the word techno, it means crafted by hand, handmade. That's what technology means. Made by skillful hands or skillfully made. The word says God the, the skies, the heavens proclaim God's handiwork, right? Even when we talk about this digital age, the first code that was digitally written was written by God because digital means finger. The code was written by the finger of God. All these things that God is just like saying, look, man, I speak to you in every generation. There's no reason to not see me. So all these things that happen, like, like I said, even with the earth being created in six days, it's not a six day creation. It's a six day restoration. When you ask, why would God do that? Why would God make, leave these things in place for us to be able to question? Because God like, look, man, I want you to know. I want you to know that the earth is it. Man, you can't look at the stars and be like, hey, man, doesn't them stars take like billions of, uh, you know, millions of light years to get here? So if they take like millions of light years, get how can the world be created in six days? That doesn't seem logical. And God's like, yeah, I want you to know that. I want you to know. How could you see the glory of my miraculous work to restore the earth in six days if you didn't know that the, that the universe was over 14 billion years old? I got time. I've here, I've been here for all of eternity. I can make the earth faster than six days if I want to. I got enough time to orchestrate the natural process of how the earth and the universe was going to be made. I got time to do that. I've been here to do that. However, because of the defilement of what happened to the earth, when the angels had the rebellious angels had evil kingdoms here, that's not a stretch, man. Look at what we're doing right now. We're defiling the earth right now with what the things that we're doing, trying to create, you know, these weird technologies, man. What are you guys doing with this GMO food, trying to create robots that look like humans and all that sort of what you doing? This stuff is evil. The same thing you think humans can do that. Angels can do it, too. And the Lord's like, hey, man, I had enough of this. We're ending it right now. But what took billions of years to form, billions of years to become a habitable biosphere for any other organism, I can destroy and I can restore in six days. It's not out of God's character because he's going to do it again. He says, I'm going to melt. I'm going to flash pasteurize universe. I'm going to melt everything down to the elemental level. This means that atoms will become unstable. Nothing will be able to, un to, to sustain in the heat that I'm going to bring. Now, how did the word of God know that? How did we know that things could melt down to the elemental level beyond things that we can't see? Because God even tells you, I am the one who over, I, I'm, the, I'm paraphrasing, I'm the one who oversees what is unseen. The things that you guys can't even see through a microscope because they're too small for a, for a light wave to even see. Yeah, I can see all that sort of stuff. Well, uh, first of all, you, you've always made an attempt to be um, biblically accurate. And, and so I, I'm trying to make an attempt to be uh, uh, scientifically accurate. Mm. Uh, just to go back to something you said at the very beginning. Uh, no astronomer, no astrophysicist 
believes that galaxies were formed in a, in a few seconds. What happened relatively quickly, and in, in fact, in some cases happened within nanoseconds of the, of the, after the Big Bang, was that the universe expanded and then basically whatever coin got flipped for either matter or antimatter, how much was going to be energy, dark energy, how much was going to be, uh, you know, uh, the kind of matter that we understand. But no one, no one is saying scientifically that within a few seconds after the Big Bang, the galaxies were formed. The conditions for the formation of galaxies was determined very early, but galaxies took billions of years to, to, uh, to evolve into their, into their current, uh, shapes and and con and composition and that process continues now again with that said when when you say when the bible says that uh, that man is created from dust the the initial elements of the big bang were big the big bang was essentially hydrogen which is the simplest element hydrogen and helium the the astrophysical model that that is in widespread belief today and for which there is a volumes and volumes of evidence basically says that in the early days of the uh, of the universe the first stars were just basically burning hydrogen and helium because that's all there was there's no debate that I'm aware of that challenges the idea that essentially all of the elements heavier than helium, including the stuff we're made out of carbon, oxygen, uh, all of this stuff, calcium, all of, none of it existed, and that it had to be created inside of stars where, it, where the fusion that's going on inside of these stars, these original stars, which strangely enough are called population two stars, they've got no heavy metals and all of the heavy metals in the universe, including the stuff that we're made out of, had to have been created in the cores of long extinct stars that, 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 that fused these elements in their core, eventually went nova, spread these heavier elements out through space, and then new solar systems coalesced out of these heavier elements, and, and here we are. All of this to say that there's no doubt scientifically that we are stardust, that we are made out of stuff that, that the universe created after the Big Bang. When I go to these kind of troubles to, uh, to uh, coordinate these two uh, conflicting theories of how things happen, what I'm trying to do is, is, to, is to do something that I didn't do for most of my life. I just simply just rid off the other side as just being, you know, superstition and, and, and baloney. What I find as I get older and wiser is that there are that there are correlations that don't really prove anything, but that are also deeply interesting. And the stardust is one. The let there be light is another one. And there and there are many others. I I think what I'm what I'm getting at here is I have a pretty good idea of how people who are watching the show are getting the show. I mentioned this once in an afterburner I did 10, 12 years ago called Howie. It was about a little bird. But basically, I'm able to understand that what's going on now is that electric fields are, are, are floating around these lights. They're, they're, well, these are LED lights, so they're causing them to emit light on a certain level, reflecting off of me, going into the lens of that camera, which is focusing that light on a, a 
relatively small, very, very dense little things of electrical sensors and, and the turning those light photons into electrical pulses that are then traveling down that cable, going across over there to that room. They're being written as magnetic uh, ones and zeros on a, on a uh, hard drive that's spinning at 8,000 RPM. And then when I'm finished with this, we'll, we'll send it down through the internet, which is a series of of uh, fiber optic connections or reconvert that into either electrical pulses or, or light pulses that will then go up to the internet service provider and then go down to your computer where you will either see it as it streams or you'll save it or whatever. I understand the process of how that works. A pre-industrial person would be absolutely incapable of understanding that if I got to them as an adult because there would be no framework for them to be able to comprehend this. There's no question that if I took somebody from 10,000 years ago, they are essentially, in fact, not just essentially, they are modern humans. If I took a, if I took a child out of, um, out of Babylon 7,000 years ago as a baby and, and raised him here in 21st century America, then he'd be better at computers than I am because seven-year-olds, just stuff's just second nature for them. But what I'm trying to say is this, the cultural, the cultural level of education, intelligence, perception, all of this, and the emotional substrata that's underneath it, wasn't there 7,000 years ago, 50,000 years ago, 200,000 years ago, 2 million years ago. It, it wasn't there. And so you have to ask yourself if... If you've got a creator who is trying to not only explain things to the creation, but to explain them in such a way that the creation would eventually be able to, by little steps, but a series of little steps, perceive more and more of it, then you, then you, go, with, then you go with stories and analogies that, that convey the essential truth in a way that pre-industrial people can understand. And this is the thing I find compelling personally. Uh, and when I say that we're, that we're becoming incrementally more capable of understanding creation, it's very important, and this is a lesson learned late in life, is to, is to recognize your own limitations and have the humility to realize that while, yes, uh, you know, the cosmological model that we have now is infinitely more advanced than it was in, in pre-industrial societies of people sitting around campfires in, in caves, but at the same time, it is so far short of the actual reality that it's just a better model. And, and one of the things I give a great deal of thought to is what I've referred to repeatedly as the horsepower limitation, right? Uh, when I did this thing on this uh, bird, I, I said this little bird, you know, I, I feed the bird, the bird thinks I'm its, its mom. The bird doesn't have any understanding about radio waves, cosmic waves. The bird, the bird doesn't know about multidimensional space, has no idea about string theory. bird doesn't know how old the universe is. The bird cannot fly an instrument approach. It doesn't have the neurological horsepower, a, a, a more uh, maybe easily understandable uh, example would be you can put a chimpanzee and give it the very, very best flying instructor there is. And try, and try to chain that chimp to fly an instrument approach for decades, and it will not be able to do it because it doesn't have the horsepower. The thing that, that I am in open rebellion against is this, is this materialistic attitude 
that we have got it all figured out and that and that everything that's out there is is something that can be understood and under, and explained in this cantaloupe sized collection of gray matter the universe is infinitely more complex than we not only than we know but then we are capable of knowing we do not have the horsepower to really understand infinity and eternity this is why when people ask questions like well what was there before the big bang or what was there before before uh, God? It's like there was nothing there. You mean it start? No, no. Beginning and ending forward. No, these these concepts are limitations of the of the. It was always there, all of it, always there, and and we cannot get to that. If the universe is expanding, and it is, then what's on the other side? What is it expanding into? Nothing. Well, you mean like a vacuum? No. The vacuum is on the inside. So what's on the other side? Is like a white golf ball? There's nothing. It, 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 there is nothing. There is non-existence. We can mathematically, this is the miracle of humans. We can, given, given this horsepower limitation, we can accomplish astonishing, astonishing things. Really work back what, what, what the universe looked like a, a few millionths of a second after that instant that instant but we don't know what was before that because there was no before that and and so we're just essentially in my opinion i i i have a very very high opinion of humanity a very high opinion i'm i'm enough of a conservative to know that there are fault lines in how we're constructed and those fault lines are pretty much eternal and that will cause us to do bad things but with that said what we've achieved as a species, what we've accomplished, not just technologically, but intellectually, is, is, is miraculous. And to me, that is the single great gift of humanity, which I, don't, which I think personally, after much reflection as an astronomer, as a guy who knows his astrophysics, which I think is not only unique on the Earth, because it is, may in fact be likely to be unique in the entire universe for a number of, of, of physical reasons that, that I've been aware of, most of which have to do with our moon, by the way. <laughs> uh, that uniqueness is so coupled to biblical concepts of free will that I'm not going to split these two apart and say that they're indivisible because of a six-day limitation. My personal interpretation is, is that a six-day limitation of 4,000-year-old, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to do, is, is where the metaphor becomes obsolete relative to the understanding, but the truth underneath it is eternal. And that aspect of it is compelling evidence to me that there's something more going on here than just atoms bouncing off of each other. Heavy, man, heavy. Um, and, and if I can make a, a clarification, or, or, or um, and, and I hope it doesn't sound like I'm splitting hairs, when I say that uh, after the, the Big Bang that the galaxies were forming in seconds, uh, I hope that I included in there, so it's, it's not that the galaxies were forming in seconds. Like I said, it's a decompression of time, very rapid decompression of time, billions of years we're passing by in seconds. So what would be billions of years to us in this event is going on and say, just like maybe like if a person has a theory of time travel, where you're able to go back a hundred years in a matter of seconds, right? So there's going to be displacement of time is what's going to happen. So like I said, I wasn't trying to say that, that, that these, okay. you know, is that fair enough? 
Sure. Okay. Okay. I'm pretty sure that you you would have an interjection on that. I understand. Uh, but that's, I just wanted to make that clarification. Uh, man, I remember when I was a kid, man, and, uh, we were learning about, you know, red shifts, like maybe like in sixth grade science or in whatnot. And I remember back then it seemed like the principal principal and, you know, I, I dished a lot of school and I didn't pay attention to a lot of school anyway, but, uh, it seemed like the principle of that was that there has to be a contraction. There has to be an opposite effect. And that, and that as the universe is expanding, it seems to be slowing down. Um, now it seems like they're saying that the, the expansion of the universe is accelerating. Um, well, Whichever one it is, I do know that the word of God says he spreads out the heavens like a tent. Um, well, in order for a tent to be spread out, it has to be in a decompress. It has to be a compressed state. And then you unfold it. And the past tense isn't used like this as if he had spread as if he had spread out the tent. No, he spreads it out as if the mm-hmm. heavens are still expanding. So and they are. Yeah, and they are. So it's one of those. Th- and the reason why, once again, we're, we're talking about this is because if we're going to examine virtue, there has to be something solid to base virtue on rather than trying to make it up as we go or or define our own truth or define what our own virtues is, which becomes the things that we end up being ruled by when people take these so-called virtues into office. There has to be something solid. And so if that's the case, well, I'm looking at the creator and, and the origin of things. Uh, and so I would have to examine you know, this, this, uh, this word of a uh, God himself. Um, you know, when we think about even evolving, uh, I think even Darwin, uh, himself had to question his own beliefs. Um, and I'm paraphrasing here where it's like, I have to pause and say, how could something had no mind? that's going to evolve from this primitive or primordial state, how could it evolve? How could something without a mind evolve to have a mind to contemplate its own origin? So that being said, this is the reason why we have the distinction of being created in the image of God, unlike any other creature that was also made from the dust of the earth. Because just like you were talking about with with the monkeys and whatnot, a monkey has only a certain degree of ingenuity. Like you could take a stick and put it in the ground and say, okay, I'm gonna find me a, 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 a an ant-laden lollipop, right? That's not something that it learned how to do based on you know any sort of ingenuity, that's an instinct. It's, it's I know how to take this stick and I know how to stick it in the ground and get some food. It's like a beaver, right? It's an mm-hmm. instinct, it, it's not an architect per se. It doesn't have architect institutions and it has a meeting to, to know how it's gonna do them better. That's the limit of what it does. Primates are capable, primates clearly mm. learn, not just primates either, can learn, can make tools, and can pass technological information down to their offspring. I learned how to poke a, a, a stick into a termite mound and lick the termites off, and those other uh, chimps over there didn't figure that out yet. There's no question that that, that they can use uh, memory and tools and, and technology mm. It's just there's a limit to how much mm-hmm. technology they can handle. Yes. One of the things you mentioned, and I've, I've grown up with this, and this is why science is so exciting to me. When the Big Bang happened, there was an enormous dis- debate about was there enough enough velocity, basically, for this thing to just keep going forever, or would it eventually just slow to its own gravitational attraction, stop, and then collapse again. And for the longest time, we thought it would just slowing down and then it would collapse. Well, it turns out that's not the case. It actually appears to be, if not accelerating, it's something's wrong. And what I've watched happen in the course of my 
practically 50 years of, of studying this is, I've watched science basically say, if we look at everything there is, then we should see the universe slow and stop and, and contract. But that's not what we're seeing. So there's something out there that we don't know about. These are things like dark matter and dark energy. And these terms are essentially meaningless because we don't know the mechanism. We, we only know that something has to be doing this, and we don't know what it is. And, and, and we're turning out to discover that, that if we're going to make sense out of what we're actually seeing, what nature is showing us, what creation is showing us, is telling us, no, there's a big part of this puzzle that we don't get yet. And, and to me, that's just tremendous. It's just, it's just absolutely tremendous. And, and so, so I just look at these two issues as, as, as separate domains. That's the term I've heard other people use. The scientific domain and, and the uh, religious moral domain do not exclude each other. They're just different tools for different things. The scientific domain is, is the means of understanding the how of the material universe. The moral domain is understanding the why of the material universe. And people on both sides of, of this debate have a tendency to want to simply exclude the other side. Uh, people who, who, are, who, who have a, a, just a complete idea that evolution and all this other stuff is just invented, they are, they are simply excluding the enormous amount of evidence on, on, the, on the how. Likewise, uh, material atheists are excluding all of the evidence on the why. They, they say there is no why. It's just, it's just random. When you get into the probability of, of some of these things, you find these probabilities are, are essentially inf infinitesimally small. So I keep coming back to the idea that, that both of them are true and that any attempt to put one into the box of the other, either way, is not only futile in terms of you will not get an answer, it's also destructive because we need them both. We need them both and, and they are not mutually exclusive. They, the, the more we discover and the more we open our minds to what's actually there rather than what we came into this argument believing, the more we seem to be discovering that they're, they're not only not mutually exclusive, they are mutually reflective, that, that, that elements of the material world that, that seem to be beyond uh, our understanding have uh, uh, like a, a metaphorical explanation in the moral world, and the reverse is, is true also. So personally, though, I, I find the whole argument to be essentially not only pointless, uh, all arguments, any, any intellectual discussion to me is, is worthwhile. I always learn things and I always, I always come out smarter than I did when I went in, unless I'm arguing with a college professor, <laughs> in which case I come out significantly stupider. But, but I think on some level, while I, while I think the dialogue is important, I think this, I think this, this, this and, and this is a horsepower limitation too. We want to know. We cannot handle ambiguity. If one thing says one thing, if the Bible says one thing, and, and science says something else, then as humans, we want to know which one of these things is true. And the idea that they could both be true is not something that we can really get to because we don't have the horsepower for it. 
But I think that the whole argument of, well, is it, is it six days or not, is, is to take two different things that, that are utterly incapable of fitting in each other's frame of reference and trying to smash these things together. And I think if we do that, we lock ourselves out of both of these domains. We lock ourselves out because we're saying, well, it's got to be six days, so therefore all of this evidence is wrong, or no, all of this evidence is there, so therefore the entire uh, moral structure of the Bible is just, it just, it's just invention. We're, we're, we're hurting ourselves by doing this. So I think just like, just like uh, uh, you know, I think just like a, a particle's quantum state, it can, it can be both true and false at the same time without a contradiction and without, min without degrading the quality of either one of these two domains. Oh, I could dig it, man. I could dig it. Now, science definitely is not something that uh, I have an aversion to because if God is the all-knowing, that means that God is the all-science. He's the omniscient. So I, I well, love science a lot. Yeah, <laughs> if there's a creator, if there's a creator, he not only put... He not only put the, the fossils and things there for us to discover, mm -hmm. that's putting it bluntly, but he also gave us the ability to figure things out based on these clues that are built into the creation. So again, to me, this is an indication that, that the entire effort to, to um, reconcile these two things is a fun discussion, but if you really follow it to its conclusion with an open mind, I think you find, no, we're not supposed to be able to put a scientific veneer on the Bible, and we're also not supposed to put a moral veneer on science. These are separate domains. And, and he, the miracle of humans is that we're able to use both of them. And when we lose the balance bad things happen. Indeed, man. And you know, the thing is, you know, like I was saying about our, our creation, we have the distinction of being created in the image of God. We're the ones who have that logic. We're the ones who are, we're made to be able to figure these things out. Like any other animal, we have this degree of ingenuity that we, even God himself says, hey, with this level of communication that they have, there is nothing that they can't do. Now we can do, there's wonderful things or we could do great evil things. Evidently, we could do very evil things. That's why God came and put a stop to it. But he says there's nothing that they can't do. So, you know, uh, the truth, though, you know, in terms of it, it can be both true and false. Even with there, I, I would have to disagree because God is all truth. There is no falsity in God. God is. See, I don't think it's I don't think that I don't think that I think they can both be true without either of them being false. Because hmm. they don't touch each other. Hmm. Mm. That's that's that, that's an interesting perspective. But we 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 we've repeated the why. We've said there's the mm -hmm. how and then the why. And like I said, mm -hmm. I don't really get down to how God does things supernaturally because I don't have the natural equipment to be able to give you a, a consensus of how God did something supernatural. That'd be like illogical to try to demonstrate. But it's the why. Why the six days? God, why did you choose six days and then decide to rest on the seventh? Because this is a cosmic declaration of what the completed work will be. The whole book itself is about Jesus and God coming in the person of Jesus to redeem us for what has happened. God resting on the seventh. This is all, this is what this all leads up to. It is a declaration that this seven, this number seven, the Shabbat, right? 
this number seven is implicative of the perfect work that Jesus is going to do. It's written in the heavens. I mean, and when we talk about even that, I mean, we have people in primitive times thinking that, you know, the, the world was flat and all that sort of stuff. Well, God flat out told us, like, look, man, the stars in the sky, the sun, the moon, all that sort, they'll serve as indicators. They serve as signs for seasons, right? You can look at these things and understand what's going on. You don't have to assume that the world is flat. You can look at the moon and see that it's round. You can look at the sun and see that it's round. You're going to orbit this thing and see that it's round on all sides. I'm God. I sit above the circle of the earth. It's round. All right. So these things are put in place for us to figure out what happened, uh, how these things work. So, but these things that they, they serve as signs in this six day restoration. Like I know people want to believe it's a six day creation. It's not a, it's not six days of creation, six days of rest, uh, restoration. The earth has been here for a long time. Right. But in this, in the work that God does, and when he says on the seventh day and does this finish and does this completion, says, man, it's all good. Right. It's done. This is the prophecy of the Lord himself was going to come. And this 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 perfect atonement that he's going to make indicated by the number seven is finished. It's complete. That's why it was the six days and then the seventh day of rest. So try to, to get down to the how that's not no so, so much an issue. And even though there's evidence to the contrary, it's still not disprovable about what God did in six days. Like I said, if you examine it and you break the word down to six days, the world wasn't created in six days. It tells you that right from the beginning. So if, if, if number seven is the number of perfection, that would explain why I was born on the seventh, I suppose. Come on now, right? Roll with it. That's better than a Zodiac sign. My birthday, by the way. It's going to wrap this up because we're running out of disk space. <laughs> I only discovered this a few years ago. My birthday is April 7th, mm. so that's 4-7. And in America, we put the month before the date, and most of the rest of the world does it the opposite way around. So my birthday is 4-7, but in any other writing, if I were to give you my birthday and I'm in, in Norway, I would write it as 7-4. And 7-4 in American measuring is the 4th of July. I have the only birth date that is the inverse of the 4th of July. Man, shoot off some fireworks. I like Damn it. Damn right. That's that's how we should we should close we should close the show with some fireworks. When I found out about that, I was just I was like over the moon. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Well, so if I if I sent somebody a letter and said I was born on 4/7, they would say you're born on the 4th of July. I said, "Well, kind of, yeah." <laughs> well, we're we're going to make it a national holiday, Bill. That's it. it's long All overdue. Right. <laughs> Thank you, folks. That was uh, our our our, um, our juicy episode of the Virtue Signal. And we hope that you guys got something out of it. And if you did, hey, make sure. And we're still friends. Isn't that amazing? You know what I'm saying? Hey, that's right. Where two people are more agree in my name, hey, there I am. So, um, you know, go over to BillWillow.com. Share these videos. You know, go to BillWillow.com. Drop a buck in the bucket there. You know, help us, uh, you know, keep uh, bringing these, this content to you if you really appreciate what it is that we're trying to do to get out there and promote some truth and sanity. All right, y'all. Yep. For Bill Whittle and I, good night. Good night.